Welcome to Far Out with Faust. I'm Faust Ficho, and today I've tracked down one of my favorite human beings on this planet, Daryl Anka. Daryl is an author, he's a filmmaker, he's a director, and he's an internationally renowned speaker on metaphysical topics and UFOs. And his teachings have shed light and clarity on some of the greater mysteries of our existence. And I'm, I'm so thrilled to be sitting here with him. Um, some of the things he's been up to, he's on book three of a five-part series. Um, book one is called Shards of a Shattered Mirror. Um, book two is called Nocturnal. And um, he also has his third indie feature called Alienated coming out in 2021. He's a fellow filmmaker. And, um, you know, I have to say that besides LSD, ayahuasca, and, you know, the few other garden variety psychedelics, Daryl, in his teachings as Bashar and his work have been responsible for a, a a large expansion of my consciousness. So uh, I'm so grateful and thrilled to have you on the show. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Faust. I really appreciate the opportunity to share this information. So thank you for what you do. For some people who don't know your background, who maybe haven't seen the, Daryl has an awesome auto, autobiographical documentary called First Contact, um, which really kind of takes you through his journey um, from a young man to where he is today. Um, and, uh, but for people who haven't seen that, Daryl, you want to take us back to 1973, that, that famous, now famous time when you saw that? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, while traveling with some friends in LA, <clears throat> uh, in my car, on the freeway, we had a very, very close broad daylight sighting of a triangular UFO. Uh, and this again happened a week after that. So I've had two sightings in the same year, a week apart. Both times the same craft, or at least what appeared to be the same craft. Like I said, a black equilateral triangle about 30 feet on a side. Uh, fortunately, I had these witnesses with me, so I wasn't alone. Um, I was able to corroborate with the other witnesses what we were seeing both times. And that began my journey in investigating what this was all about, because, you know, I'd heard about UFO stories, but... <clears throat> It was pretty nebulous as to the reality of these things. And of course, we were told that, you know, these things didn't exist. Right. Having seen that in broad daylight up close and personal as a solid vehicle in the sky, making no noise, moving in unusual ways, uh, disappearing in the blink of an eye. I knew that <clears throat> there was something going on that was bigger than we'd ever been told. There was a mystery here. And I started investigating all the books I could find on the subject. And especially back then in 1973, you know, there weren't a lot of metaphysical books in the bookstores. So <clears throat> when you went there and went to the bookshelf where the UFO books were, probably right next to them were books on psychic functioning and channeling and other. Oh, cool. Concepts. Yeah. So I just kind of like, you know, went down the line, uh, read, you know, the Jane Roberts, Seth books, yeah. and channeling, as many people did. Um, and as I continued my research, 10 years after the sighting, I was introduced to a channel who was conducting seminars at the time. And I went to listen and I thought the information was very positive, very mm -hmm. constructive. Um, but eventually that entity coming through that channel offered to teach a class on channeling. Now I thought that was just something that happened to people. I didn't think you could actually teach channeling to someone. Right. So to further my research, not because I thought it was going to be a channel. I just went into the class to see what was going on. Mm -hmm. It was a series of guided meditations, and you weren't necessarily expected to connect to any other entity. It was about just getting into that altered state that allows you to connect to more of your consciousness, more creativity, mm -hmm. however you wanted to use it. But <clears throat> during the guided meditations, about halfway through the course, I received what I can only describe as a telepathic connection from Bashar. Uh, and in that instant that that happened in my head in the middle of this meditation, I had a memory come back of having made an agreement with him to do this in this life. And I understood at that moment that the UFO had been shown to me on purpose to get me to start moving yep. forward with my research. So when the time came to do the channeling, I would be prepared. And it was in my mind offered to me as a choice. In other words, now is the time to begin this if you still mm -hmm. wish to. Do you still wish to? Now, 
I didn't know if I was hallucinating or this was some weird side effect in my imagination. Of course, yeah. Right? <clears throat> but the minute this happened, and this all happened literally in like a split second, like somebody just downloaded all this into my head in one split second, <clears throat> but I hadn't said anything. And at that exact moment, the entity coming through the channel teaching the class stopped talking to the class, turned directly to me and said, there is an entity here for you right now if you're wow. ready for Now I opened my eyes and I happened to glance behind me. One of the classmates somehow had picked up on the image of Bashar in my head and she was actually sketching it on a piece of paper. Wow. So I instantly had two outside validations that this wasn't just my internal imagination. There was something going on here yeah. beyond my explanation. So I thought, all right, you know, I had understood enough about channeling to know it could be a positive and constructive thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I decided, let's go ahead, let's keep practicing, let's see where this leads. Mm -hmm. I did well enough that the teacher offered to allow me to co-channel the next class with him. Wow. And from that class, a woman named Margot Chandley, who was going to be doing the first uh, doctoral thesis paper on the connection between psychology and channeling, mm -hmm. wanted to have subjects to study for her paper. So I became one of 12, I think, subjects. And I would go to her house. I would channel for her friends. She would take her notes so that she could make her thesis paper. Right. But the first time we did it, there were a few friends there and then word of mouth started spreading. That's right. And you got popular, right? It grew, and grew and grew and grew and grew. We had to start doing it twice a week and then in other houses and in other auditoriums. And eventually mm -hmm. I got invited to other cities, other countries. Yeah. And here I am 37 years later still doing this. Man, you got some huge uh, road signs from the universe, some oh, undeniable yeah. signs. I mean, talk about, Big yeah, it was nothing we could ignore. It was yeah. just right in front of our face. Like I said, first time the UFO was about 150 feet away, but the second time it was only about 60, 70 feet away. So. Yeah, and, and then your experience at the class with, I mean, with all that, with the psychic phenomena that was happening between the teacher and the, the right. person next to you, I mean, that's, that's a very strong signal. Um, so cool. It is, it is. And I mean, and one of the main reasons why we made the first contact documentary about how this all happened to me <clears throat> was not just to tell that story, but to also demystify the whole concept of channeling. Yeah. Because channeling is something we all actually do. It's an altered state we get into when we're in the zone, when we're doing what we love to do, we're in that moment mm -hmm. of passion, where we're so focused, we're not paying attention to the passage of time. Three hours feels like 15 minutes. Yes, That's actually the channeling state. And by uh, having my head wired to an EEG machine in the documentary when yeah. I was not in a channeling state and then in a channeling state, we were able to demonstrate the difference between the normal waking state and the altered state called gamma, which is uh, above mm -hmm. 40 to 45 or so cycles per second in the brain, which is what we call the channeling state. Right. Everyone gets into that state when they're doing something that they really are passionate about. Yeah. So we wanted to let people know this is not a weird thing. Now, it can be used in unusual ways. Obviously, what I'm doing with it in terms of public <laughs> channeling and saying that, you know, presenting it as an entity that, that right. claims to be an extraterrestrial talking through me. Right. Um, yes, that's unusual. But that's the but way. But not so unusual anymore. Well, you know, well, maybe not so much now. But yeah, back in 1983. <laughs> yes. yes, much um, more unusual then. But, you know, the thing we want to get across to people very strongly, or at least I do, is it's not so much whether they believe that the entity exists. They don't have to believe Bashar is real. Right. What's real and demonstrable is the information he presents that's applicable as a toolkit that actually makes positive changes in your life and gets extremely the positive changes. And that's the most important thing I think for people it is, to focus on. And you know, I you know, ever since I've come to Bashar's teachings and and your work, I one of the things that struck me was how wise it was of you to lead off with that and to tell and to tell people look you you don't have yeah. to believe anything no. about the extraterrestrial nature uh you know but you could apply yeah. some of these amazing insights to your life and see what happens just see what happens exactly. you know and now i apply them and i know they work other people have come back to me and said when they truly apply them it makes big changes in their lives so i know that you can prove the information works Mm -hmm. And it's not about proving that Bashar is real. For all I know, it 
could be coming from another level of my own consciousness. And that's fine with me right? because the information still has value. So, but I have to let it through the way it comes through. Absolutely. And obviously if Bashar really is a separate extraterrestrial entity, since these exchanges and this information is actually from his perspective, the first steps in actually making contact with our right. planet, then it's possible that eventually they'll land and we'll have all the concrete proof we need of their independent existence. But for now, from their perspective, it's more important that we pay attention to the message right. and not so much the messenger, because we haven't really had a great uh, history <laughs> no. uh, with uh, how humanity has dealt with the messengers no. that bring through information. So they want to remain in the background because it's more important to them that we focus on the information rather than focusing on them to see what we do with it. Because what we decide to do with it is actually a barometer for them to decide Certainly. whether we're ready for open contact Certainly. or not. You know, I it's just, our decision. I just saw a perfect meme yesterday. I was like, oh, oh. my God. It's it, three aliens standing at the foot of the cross and they're looking up at Christ and one of them turns to the other and says, we should just get the hell out of here right now. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah that about sums up. Where we're yeah, at. I think one, I think one time and you know, and he, you know, he didn't mean to insult anyone, but I think he was, he was sort of joking to make a point. And I know that one time at a seminar, <clears throat> uh, people, you know, someone asked, and, yeah, well, why don't you just land? Oh, yeah. And, and uh, his response was, well, would you land in an insane asylum where all the inmates had guns? guns. That's right. I remember. I yeah. remember. So yeah. it's kind of like, you know, they understand that it's important uh, to keep sort of arm's length right now, not only for their own sake, but for our own sake, because they understand it would be too disruptive to our society because too many things have to change in our society before we would become anywhere yeah. close to being vibrationally or energetic compatible with the way their society operates and it could be very disruptive until oh, yeah. we make certain changes that would make us a little bit more on equal footing with them uh, and sure. it doesn't invalidate yours and you know we with everything that's going on today and everyone insisting on being right you know yeah. and there being this constant you know clash about about who's right and who's got the facts and who's got this you know mm -hmm. it's like listen there's always more than one version of events and it doesn't make, you know, one of them false and one of them true. But two, both things can be true at the, you know, the truth is not mutually exclusive. And so. Yeah. Experientially people can experience different truths and different realities and different perspectives about things. So yeah, it's about validating all the differences in order to actually create true unity. You know? Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's our road to contact when we truly embrace mm -hmm. that, idea you know that that's going yeah. to be our quickest way as bashar says the structure of existence never changes that's fixed the way reality expands the way creation expands is because of our interaction with our perspective of and our experience of that structure that never changes because right. our experience always changes that's never ending <clears throat> our perspective always changes that's never ending so in a sense that's how creation is expanding but the structure itself does have its own validity. Existence has a structure and we are <clears throat> interacting with reflections of it. We are reflections of existence and we can all have different points of view because we are a different point of view of yes, existence. Exactly. And so it's about really understanding how all of those different points of view fit together in a harmonious way to create unity. It's not about homogenizing everyone right. to believe only one thing. Right. That's I think a lot of the fear comes from this idea that you know, this loss of identity, but that's not what's what it's about. You know, it's 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 really the opposite. You realize your individuality through the con the, the consciousness of, of your collective, you know. Right. And as long as you're honestly in touch with why you believe what you believe, where whether or not it's actually in alignment with your true self or out of alignment with your true self is really one of the big keys that Bashar often talks about because it really just comes down to that ancient phrase of know thyself. What do you think about, um, you know, the, some of the events of 2020 and with COVID and with, uh, you, know, you know, with everything that's going on right now, how, like, what do you believe that has come to teach the human race? You know, what, 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 what are we to, to integrate in order to move yeah, past well, this? You know? Yeah. I mean, it's a big subject. I know that it gets, often it gets politicized and I try to avoid doing that. Yeah. 
But from Bashar's perspective, and I guess to some degree from my perspective, it's about really learning to be responsible for the consequences of the choices that we've made as a society mm-hmm. that have to do with our relationship to the environment. <clears throat> yes. Because yeah. a lot of this has to do with the destruction of certain environments on yeah. the planet that allow opportunistic organisms to run rampant beyond their borders. Absolutely. You know, and I know about you know, the theories that many people have is like, oh, well, you know, is this a natural thing? Is it a man-made thing? Was this released deliberately? You know, all of these things. To me, in a sense, it doesn't really matter because whether it's a natural occurrence or whether somebody deliberately made and released this virus, the end result is the understanding that the only reason we're having this pandemic experience is because somewhere along the line, we're out of balance. Right. And that's what's creating these kinds of experiences. And therefore, it's a great opportunity for us to be forced to face our responsibility for mm-hmm. whatever role we played in this, yeah. uh, whether natural or otherwise. <clears throat> and to sequ- the reason we're sequestered now, in a sense, is to almost go into a monastic meditative you know, experience of yeah. looking within, yeah. of having to deal only with ourselves and to really be honest within ourselves about what kind of a world do we want and what kind of a relationship do we want to have with the planet? You know, not only with people, but with animals, with trees, with the environment, with everything, because we're really at a point now where we can't escape from the fact that a a choice made in one place can have consequences everywhere. And Um, that's another thing I think that the pandemic is showing us. Absolutely. It's showing, I mean, it's, it, it, it's showing us in every way it can. Uh, And I, I think it's so profound what you, what you just said, because uh, I, I'm of like mind, you know, as far as the way that this came about and which, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into because everybody has a theory, but you know, sure. it, it is certainly opportunistic and it's cert- look a, a virus is, is part of nature. You can't separate it when we can weaponize it and we can say, Oh, it's this sure. and that and, and act like it's the deadliest quote pathogen, but it serves a purpose, you it know? Does. And and so if it's here, it's here for a reason. And I think that people Absolutely. are so busy trying to figure out how to avoid it and kill it that they no one is stopping to try and understand right. what what it's here for. How to for. use it? Yeah. yeah, because you know one of the things I, I appreciate the most about some of the things Bashar says is it's not so much what happens; it's what you do with what happens that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. If you react to something negatively, you're only going to get a negative experience. But if you understand that there might be a way to use it in a positive direction, you can learn a lot from it. And one of the things I think is, you know is most important is like you know again this whole thing about people having created for themselves this kind of disconnection or detachment. Mm-hmm. from creation, from existence, as yeah. if we can make a choice and it doesn't necessarily have consequences that will affect us, as if we're not part of the system. Right. So it's about the idea of not understanding so much even the idea of our relationship to nature. It's really about waking up to the fact that we are nature. We we're are a nature. part of Absolutely. this system. Absolutely. And you cannot have an action that doesn't have a consequence that affects the entire system. Now, maybe greater or lesser in certain areas at the consequence, but you're part of a system and there's no such thing as being able to make an action that doesn't have consequences for the whole system that you're a part of. So I think once we start thinking more holistically Mm -hmm. uh, and not so much compartmentally, where, oh, I can't, you know, I won't be affected by this. I'll do whatever I want. Nothing will happen to me. You know, and too bad for all the other people that it does affect. Uh, I think we have to start thinking holistically to realize how to make better choices. Even if it's from that selfish perspective of I better make good choices because they'll come back to bite me if I don't. You know, I mean, I I, I just look and I see and you can feel it. You know, some places you go, you can really feel it. You can cut it with a knife. It's so thick. I mean, I live in New York City and it's just like walking down the street there is a constant, you know, there's this new ebb and flow now that's not just get out of my way, I have to get to where I'm going. It's um, get out of my way, I have to get to where I'm going, but make sure you don't intersect with my, you know, right. Right. because I don't, I might, I might inhale whatever it is, is coming out of your mouth or, you know what I mean? It's like this. I do, I do. It's, uh, it's the same way here in Los Angeles. I mean, yeah. we're a little more spread out than you are. Maybe we have a little bit of an easier time uh, social distancing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
but um, still, you know, when you when you do go places and and you see the entire new flow of the way people walk and you know and yeah. interact and stuff like that, and you know, it's very interesting. But but again, the idea is <clears throat> not just to sit with the fear, but realize that fear is attempting to tell us something. It's attempting to get our attention to negative beliefs that have caused these situations yeah. out of panic, out of fear. So it's about using that. I think to get in touch with those negative beliefs, let them go and yeah. start a new way of understanding our relationship to everything, to life, to each yeah. other, um, and creating the world we say that we would prefer to have. And you know, I always think I I love what Bashar says about you know the one the one thing that you cannot do is die, and that's the one thing that you're most Ultimately, afraid yeah. of of doing. And and um, you right. know. I'm, I'm, <clears throat> think yeah. about so often over this last yeah, few I months. Mean, you, know. you know, and again, you know, we can go into the physics of it, but he's just really saying, you know, physical reality is a temporary projection yeah. of consciousness. Uh, you may die physically, but you don't cease to right. exist as a consciousness and you'll go on to many other things. So, you know, even if you don't learn your lessons here, there's always going to be That's another right. chance from his perspective to do so. Now, Having said that, that doesn't necessarily mitigate any one of the responsibility for what they do experience or create here. Because again, it's about growing and learning and using these things to our advantage. Um, And even though sometimes we may not do so, and there'll always be a second chance and a third and a fourth and a fifth and an item in some other level of reality, it's still about this is an experience that we are choosing to have. And are we actually doing the best we can with it are we being our best selves has this virus put us with contact has it do you think it's set us back or do you think it's like the timelines have been shifted i know that bashar has mentioned a little bit but i haven't seen the the transmissions well yeah i mean again remember they're observing and they're Mm -hmm. watching how we respond to things that happen Mm -hmm. and of course our responses do have the ability to shift the timeline for contact because again they're watching to see you know um, are we ready? Uh, how are we handling this? If we can't handle this, how can we handle them? Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, definitely there are changes in the timeline. You know, he's always only been able to say, you know, here's a window <clears throat> in which mm-hmm. we can perceive that certain things might happen, but those things only will happen if you stay within that window, within that energy. So for, for our, for people who may not be aware of Bashar and and mm-hmm. his relationship to you and where he comes from, it, you know, in, if we were going to put it in chronological time, um, sure. I understand that's not so yeah, applicable, but, but for, for, yeah. for, you know, for, for, for people who are listening, who, who don't know that, can you give us a little bit of background? Sure. Well, again, <clears throat> the idea is that from a linear space time perspective, one would say he's in our future. From a linear space-time perspective regarding spirit, one could say he is one of my future lives and I am one of his past lives. Mm. Now, he has a lot to say about the mechanics of how that works because from his perspective, everything exists at the same time and that the past (laughs) and the future are illusions. Mm. Nevertheless, speaking from a typical linear space-time framework, it's like he's an extraterrestrial civilization that exists, what he has said to be about 300 years in our future. However, they come from a parallel reality. And that parallel reality operates at a completely different frequency than ours does, which he has said is 10 times faster than ours. That means that sociologically, spiritually, Mm -hmm. technologically, they're actually 3,000 years ahead of us. Right. Bio- I mean, you could say biologically to too, right? I mean, and biologically, right? Um, so you know that can get a little tricky when trying to discern the you know yeah. <laughs> space-time issues that have right. to do with this. But really, the channeling is just a matter of <clears throat> having been trained to get on a certain brainwave frequency that's closer to the frequency they operate on. Yes, and therefore <clears throat> he does the same in his you know in his direction, trying to get closer to, to us, our frequency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when the frequencies get close enough, they kind of lockstep mm-hmm. like two tuning forks that are attuned to each other and cause each other to vibrate. So what's happening in a channeling between us 
is not that he's here. It's not that he's possessing the body. These are outdated old fashioned concepts. It's that I'm vibrating at a similar frequency and therefore his thoughts are the same as my thoughts at that point. And therefore I'm acting as a translation device. Mm -hmm. My thoughts become linked at the same frequency and have the same kind of thoughts that he has when he's at that frequency too. So I'm a biological translator for what's coming from him because I'm operating on a similar frequency. Um, That's the mechanics as he's explained of how telepathy works and, and all that stuff. No one is reading anyone else's mind you're actually only reading your own mind. But if you're operating on a similar frequency as someone else, you're going to have exactly the same kind of thoughts as the other person at the same time, synchronistically. That's why, as he's explained it, people who are in love often Mm -hmm. know exactly what each other is. They finish each other's sentences all the time because they're having the same thoughts because they're on the same wavelength. Right, they're totally entrained. Right. Yeah. But if you want to look at it again, spiritually, linearly, we could say, you know, we're the same soul in two different time frames. Right. Right. And that's why it's easy for us to be compatible with mm-hmm. one another and provide this service, provide this uh, channeling function. Sure. Um, so that brings me to my next question, I, um, which I'm excited to ask. You know, I've, I've heard a little bit about what Bashar says, but, um, you know, I, w- I would love to hear what, what you have to say about mm-hmm. You know, paint us a picture, if you could, you know, of, of kind of where we're at right now, but also, you know, where, we'll, where we may be on certain timelines in a few hundred years as far as um, let's, I mean, I'm going to use yeah. a word that I don't really like, a, like alien, but, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Extraterrestrial. Um, extraterrestrial, you know, and, and, and the hybrid situation and, and what that is. And, and yeah, are, I mean, do you think there are hybrids on the planet now? I think there are from time to time. I don't think they're here yet permanently, mm-hmm. but I do believe they will be. Uh, <clears throat> and I think this is one of the things that is a early stage of open contact. <clears throat> now, again, as Bashar has said, there's no such thing as a prediction of the future. There is a prediction based on the energy that is sensed at the moment the prediction is made. If it doesn't change, it will come to pass. If it changes, it won't. The prediction will have rendered itself obsolete by our reaction to the information that was delivered in the prediction. But generally speaking, for those that have decided to operate on a certain wavelength to pursue the expansion of consciousness, to explore their own spirituality, to become more of themselves Mm -hmm. and become more vibrationally compatible to Bashar and other ETs like his people. Mm -hmm. He has said that he senses the likelihood of open contact might begin somewhere between 2025, 2033 to 2040 or Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. Again, it depends on what kind of changes we make. Do you believe that, you know, the missing link is or was the kind of in, in intervention of an extraterrestrial race, which kind of really sped up our evolution. Yes, that, yeah. That's what he says. And, and I have found in some research that there are a few things that can validate that in certain areas. Yes. But yes, the idea being <clears throat> that, you know, several hundred thousand years ago, <clears throat> we may have been visited by an extraterrestrial race. Most people refer to it as the Anu uh, yeah. or the Anunnaki. Um, and for whatever reasons, and I don't know. Yeah, that we want to people go like to call them gold that, diggers, but. You know, right now. <laughs> yeah. But for whatever reasons, they decided they needed some assistance in whatever task they were here to right. do. And they started being, I guess, you know, masters of genetics, <clears throat> infusing their own genetic material into the naturally evolved hominid on the earth, which in general, I suppose you could refer to as Homo erectus. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, therefore, they created a blending, a hybrid between Homo erectus and the Anu that became what we now recognize as Homo sapient. Us. Right. And I mean, and you can see physical scientific evidence of this. If you, if you look at some, of, some of the studies can. of the chromosomes, you know, and yeah, I believe you can. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, it's there. People just act, chalk it up to, well, we just yeah. don't know how that yeah, got there. The, but <laughs> the other interesting thing he has said about this though, is not all branches of Homo erectus were genetically altered. Right. And the ones that were not genetically altered that continued to evolve naturally evolved into the being we today now call Sasquatch. Oh, that's so you know, he's that's saying so fascinating. 
He's saying that if the ETs had not genetically intervened, we would all be Sasquatch today. That's the natural hominid of Earth that evolved on Earth. Wow. I, 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 you know, I remember hearing something like that, but I never, I never realized that that was the full picture of what he was saying. And, and there, and because I have heard bits and pieces, you know, about the, that evolution, that timeline. And, and right. so my understanding is that Sasquatch, you know, are, are more, much more advanced than this human In being. In certain ways. You know, They're it, more connected to nature as nature. And I think that's one of the reasons why they've learned, uh, according to Bashar, they can actually shift in and out of our right. reality. And that's why they're so elusive. Right. Um, but it's a natural trait they've learned to do uh, just in their evolutionary process. Yeah. They're the hide and seek king. <laughs> yeah. And again, you know, I understand that to many people, this all sounds like science fiction. Right. But I can only deliver the information that Bashar delivers in the way he delivers it. And when you do hear enough of the information over the 37 years he's been doing this, you can piece together an extremely Certainly. interesting and logical story about the timeline and our history and everything else that's going on that seems to have been a mystery. He's put a lot of pieces in place that mm -hmm. do form a coherent narrative that is very different than a lot of people think, but right. has a lot of verifiable evidence when you do the research. So yeah. it's a very interesting tale. Do you think that we know who crashed, you know, um, at Roswell. Roswell? Yeah. I mean, like if you want to I go. I do think we, yes. I mean, I, I do think absolutely certain factions of our society know. Right. Exactly who, what, what was happening there. Um, <clears throat> and even, you know, even in, strangely enough, I mean, there are so many witnesses people haven't even heard from. My God. About that incident. Yeah. And I found um, several years back, my wife and I were having dinner with her uncle and aunt. And I mean, stories come out of the blue because her uncle is no longer alive, but he was a, he was an airline pilot and he was a pilot in World War Two mm -hmm. and and continued to be a pilot uh, after the war. And he, we, you know, we, we knew he was an airline pilot. So, of course, at dinner, we're going to ask him, the, you know, have right, you ever seen right. a UFO? and he said, well, no. And we thought, OK, that's the end of that conversation. And then he went on and he said, but. <clears throat> I was stationed after the war at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and I became friends with the flight surgeon. And oh. the flight surgeon told me he saw them bring the alien bodies through the base. Wow. And it, my wife and I are just like looking at each other with our jaw hanging open. That's the last person in the world we expected to verify <laughs> I mean, heard about crazy the alien bodies is that? at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Yeah. So, you know, there are just too many normal, typical, yeah. average people who have nothing to gain from lying. And who have that. been quiet for, you know, and, I mean, and yeah, you know, it's just, for this 60 is just something that like, happened to him that he was willing to share with us. And it's like, so yeah, the, those stories definitely have validity and truth to them. Yeah. And there's just too many sources of information about that. Um, other stories, you know, some of them could be misinterpretations, you know, misunderstandings, exaggerations, hard to tell, certainly, yeah. what is true and what is made up. But there's definitely validity at the core of a lot of these things. Yeah. Um, and of course, I know 100% that UFOs exist because I've right. seen them twice. Right. So I know there's something to that. And you know, now although, every, everyone has been given permission to to yeah. know. <laughs> well, yeah, to some you know. if, they, if they're willing to look into right. it. You know, so they're willing do, to actually do the research. Do you think that that footage that the government released was, and, I, and this segues I into another answer, question. I can't answer that. I do don't you, know. Okay, how about this one? Um, do, do you wait, which, believe, wait, which footage are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about that, that the footage that they allowed to kind of go public. recently? Yeah, very recently, yeah. Oh, do, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely totally real. Yeah, okay. I think that in some ways is actually the very first inklings of disclosure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I For think them so to too. admit, okay, we don't know what it is, but this is a real UFO. Right. For and then just recently, they that? said that yeah. they said Crazy. that they admitted that not only do they they not know what it is, but they know that it wasn't built on this earth. You know, which everyone was like, holy. Well, and or I'm they like, just don't know any place it could have come from on. Earth. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's the very first inklings of mm -hmm. disclosure where they're now establishing a validity to these things to some right, degree. Right. Um, so I think we'll see more of it 
In fact, oh, yeah. I think recently they just talked about the fact that the same people that disclosed that and release that are going to continue to disclose and release that's, that's the rumor. at a certain pace. Yeah. Right. That's the rumor. Um, so, yeah. I think that's promising. I mean, I, I think it's promising too. I, I, I hope they continue to go forward mm-hmm. with it. I hope they okay. don't, you know, it's not, you know, I, I, well, I the just, cat's kind of out of the bag now. So I yeah. think it's a little hard to put it back in. I know. Um, but what do you think about them drumming up this idea that there's a threat? You know, I mean, like, do you see, I don't see them doing that. that at all. You know, no, I, don't I don't believe, believe there is that. I, and, and I mean, I believe it's possible they may want to design something that looks like a threat yeah. for their own purposes. And I don't know whether that's completely true, but I know they could do that. Um, but no, I mean, if you really just even stop and think about it, I mean, how long have we had UFO sightings? Oh, I know. If they really wanted to do something, I would think they would have done it by now. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of sneaking around and just observing and taking a look. And, you know, if they were really a threat, I think we would know it and would have known it long before now. Do you think that, um, like, how many species uh, do you think... Uh, just your opinion, you know, like ha- have interacted with, you know, some of like, you know, there are reports of like, you know, and sure. I don't know, some of them are far fetched, but like Eisenhower meeting with the greys. And I think and, that's actually true. You, you do. I think okay. there's enough corroborative evidence to say that he actually did meet. And I'm not even sure it was actually greys. It might've actually been hybrids right. at that point. And, um, and even those that crashed in Roswell might've been hybrids, not full greys. Right. But, you know, those are speculations, but I do believe there's enough corroborative evidence to say that there was such a meeting and there was a, in a sense, a refusal or a partial agreement to delay the release yeah. of that information. Uh, and I think somewhere along the line of whatever the agreement was about releasing the information to the public that they existed at a pace that the public could take right. without problems. I think somewhere along the line that got hijacked. Yeah. And, and so it was kept secret longer than it should have been. And now, in a sense, we are not very capable of handling it because we weren't properly prepared. And we were, re- I mean, really the conditioning went the opposite way. We exactly. were, you know, exactly. as and kind they did of everything a, they could to make sure people didn't believe it. Right. Um, so, <clears> yeah, and, and, in, and in some senses, that's, that's actually the subject of, of the, uh, series that my wife and I are working on called Disclosure. The, yeah. Tell that whole story, not only from the human side, but from the alien side too. Oh, I love the sound of that. I, yeah. I, I, I'm definitely going to talk to you more about that. That whole story has never been told. Yeah. Um, I love the sound of that. You know, um, do, do you think that um, there are any ongoing contacts in governments with extraterrestrials as like that are just have been quietly going on and, there may yeah. be. I can't, yeah. I can't say for sure, but there may be. There's indications there may be. And, um, you know, I, I, I was just talking about the moon with a, with a friend and, you know, mm-hmm. about the fact that we, we, you know, we made this grand cameo there and then just decided not, not to go back. <laughs> yeah, there are probably many reasons for that. Um, and you know, that would be a, there would be a lot of speculation in that. But definitely, yeah. I think there were things that were seen there that were probably not reported. And right. that may play a part in why we didn't go back. Um, but I can't really talk too deeply about that because I really right. don't have enough information. Right. Do, do you think that there are that the, the moon has been an established base, you know, and that's yes. one of the, yeah. One of the Not for us, reasons. for aliens. Not yeah. for us. Yeah. 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 I do believe there are extraterrestrial bases there. I believe there are extraterrestrial bases on earth. I mean, I've heard some credible reports about some of the alien, re- alien reproduction vehicles as they're class or as they've been classified as in some of the reports that, that the, some of the government has, you know, taken some of the crashes. Oh, you mean back engineering? Yeah, back engineering. Yeah, I do think that we, I think, do think part, well, I wouldn't even say the government. <clears throat> I would say whatever the black ops yes. <laughs> organizations yeah. are that seem to operate autonomously from the government. Yeah, you're right. Um, yes, I do believe they have successfully, to a certain level, back engineered some of the technology that they've retrieved from crashed saucers or what have you. However, again, uh, Bashar has commented that, yes, that's true, but they're not necessarily as far along as you might think because they don't quite understand a lot of the technology. 
And without a different view of physics, they're not going to understand the technology because they're not yet including consciousness That's in their right. equations. And I, but and some I would, physicists are starting to. Yeah. I would, I would apply that to every state of science, including medical science. You know, I, mm-hmm. I feel like the missing component is, is consciousness. consciousness. You know, we've, yeah. we've focused so much on the, on this, on this physical, on this three dimensional aspect of everything that it's the other half of the equation of every equation. Yeah. You know? Some physicists, as I've been reading are some quantum physicists are, are starting to include the idea that they may have to include consciousness in their equation to actually make some of the things make sense. So, you know, we're getting yeah. there. What do, you, and, what do you think about crop circles, Daryl? Th- I mean, I've been in, I've been in them yeah. uh, personally back in 96. Um, I think some of them are probably man-made, but the ones I saw. Yeah. Now I've been, you know, I've been in the film industry a long time. I've mm-hmm. been a designer. I've been a set builder. I know what it takes to construct something. Yeah. And how long and how much organization and planning it takes for some of the more complex formations that I know literally appeared in the course of maybe a half an hour to 45 minutes overnight in the dark, in the rain. And they come out with, you know, perfect geometry and complex interwoven uh, Mm -hmm. wheat stalks that are not even broken. I'm sorry. I couldn't organize a team of, of special effects experts to do that in probably a month, let alone doing it in 45 minutes in the dark, in the rain. That's just not physically humanly possible. So yes, are there some crop circles that are probably hoaxes and are man-made? Yes. But the more complicated ones, when you really look at every aspect that's involved in them, you had to have the ability to manipulate electromagnetic or energetic fields in such a way that as far as I know, we don't possess that. Right. What, what, is, what, is, what does Bashar think that they're about? I mean, are they messages? He said that they... it's, well, it's a combination of things. He said sometimes different beings are involved mm-hmm. and sometimes they can be physical beings, non-physical beings. He has also said that they are expressions to some degree of our collective consciousness. In other words, it can also involve the planetary consciousness right. speaking to us in symbols and in terms to help us <clears throat> understand our connection again as nature, uh, to give us, you know, equations and formulas and yeah. language that comes from a different level. So we can begin to understand how we can communicate with these archetypal levels of our collective consciousness. Wow, but I, again, I, there can be different reasons for them depending upon who's involved in their manufacture. Right. I had never heard that before about that. that that's so profound about, about them possibly being from, from Gaia, you know, from Earth, yeah. um, and yeah. being, that's so that's so great. Um, yeah, and, and many of them might only be two dimensional slices of a much higher dimensional form too. Right. So we might right. not even be seeing the whole thing. I have a feeling that we're not <laughs> likely yeah. anyway. Yeah, but you know, some of the findings in some of the crop circles. I mean, some of them have been <clears throat> have contained meteoric dust. Yes. I mean, yeah. how, where does that come from? If it's just two guys you know, messing around in the field. Right. Uh, and all sorts of other weird phenomena that just aren't part of the ones that are done by people. Which TV shows or which movies do you think have depicted um, aliens and, uh, I mean, extraterrestrials in the, in the most accurate way, would you say? Well, in my no, opinion, tough. to some degree, certainly I think Close Encounters. Close Encounters, course. yeah. Now, in First Contact, there is also uh, other information that Bashar mm-hmm. has provided that I never heard about the way about the existence and the beginning and the origin of the Greys mm-hmm. uh, that I had never heard anywhere else <clears throat> other than from Bashar until many years later. There was one story that had been collected from uh, an American Indian source. Mm. And only that source <clears throat> said the same thing about their knowledge of the greys and their origin that Bashar said. And wow. it's the only other source I've ever seen that corroborated what Bashar said about the origin of the greys, because he's basically talking about them 
as if they used to be humans from a parallel version of Earth that destroyed their version of Earth and mutated themselves into what we now see as the greys. And because they damaged themselves and couldn't reproduce, needed to continue their society by finding sources of viable human DNA, which they no longer had. So coming into, with their technology, parallel versions of Earth such as ours, where humans still exist, is why the abductions are happening and why genetic material is being extracted to create hybrids that will not only continue their society, but can help prevent our society from going down the same destructive road. And the only other story I've ever heard that corroborated that the Greys used to be humans from another parallel world is that one single American Indian story that was collected by an author named RD6 Killer Clark in her collection of stories about American Indian contact with UFOs and extraterrestrials. Wow, that's yeah. gold. I'm gonna, we're gonna include a link to that and I'm gonna check that book out. Um, she has a few books uh, that have the collection of, of American Indian stories in their relationships with UFOs. And they're quite fascinating. And a lot of them are quite different from westernized stories of contact Mm -hmm. because they have a longer tradition of interacting with extraterrestrials. And in many uh, American Indian cultures, they consider that to be completely normal. So in a sense, open contact has actually already been going on for certain indigenous cultures on the planet. It's just that other cultures don't really know that. That's right. And they don't believe it when they do know it, when they do learn it, you know, exactly. They think that they're referring to someone else when they say star people, you you know what I mean? It's like, you know, I, I had a a very, very dear friend almost for almost 40 years who, who passed away many years ago. And, you know, she was American Indian and she had, you know, told me, I mean, you know, the thing that's so ridiculous as an example is, you know, you have Western culture that's trying to figure out, what's true about American Indian culture in the Americas. And she initially told me, look, we have traditions that that in our stories that say very clearly, you know, our our people have been in this continent for at least 40,000 years. And then, you know, you hear about, you know, Western scientists going, oh, well, maybe they've been here for 10 and then they make a new discovery and maybe they've been here for 20,000 and then they make another discovery. It's like, oh, now we have to erase all that. And maybe they've been here for 30 and maybe they've been here for 40. It's like, why not at least take the people who are telling you about their own culture at their word? Because they've been handing these stories down. It's like they just don't even begin to believe them until they themselves have to find some evidence that these people have been telling you the truth about their own culture. What do you, what do you think happens when we die? I mean, I have, I know I have a lot of, a lot of my own ideas and and I think they're probably similar to yours, but I mean, quick step by step, I don't want to. Well, again, I think that, you know, a lot of things Bashar has explained and and a lot of research that's been done and a lot of near death experience reports and, and all sorts of other things sort of paint a general picture. And that is first, of course, you know, we don't necessarily end that consciousness is not Mm -hmm. created by the brain the brain is a receiver and an interpreter of consciousness Uh, in the same way that a computer is an interpreter of software, Mm -hmm. but the software can exist on its own. So I do believe we continue now how we continue and what we experience. I think a lot of it has to do with what we believe we will experience Mm -hmm. to some degree, but I think that there are caveats to the structure in the sense that we suddenly realize, of course, we're not dead, dead We're in another state. Um, it is a transition from one vibrational dimensional level to another. Mm-hmm. I think we are given choices by those who help guide us, who are a little bit more evolved than us on that level, uh, mm-hmm. to decide what we want to do at that point. In a sense, you could say spirit is your natural state. Non-physical reality is actually your natural state That's as right. consciousness, as pure consciousness. You are dreaming <laughs> that you're not in spirit, and that's what physical reality is. Right but you're in spirit having that dream. Right. Do you, what does Bashar say? And what do you think about, like, are, are, are we living in, um, you know, a virtual reality? Are we living in a simulation? Is this- Well, we're we, simulating it. Yeah. It's not coming from anywhere else. It's our consciousness simulating physical reality. Right. 
right? Yeah, I mean, so, it is. It, it, it literally so, yeah, is. Yeah, it's a simulation, but we're the ones creating the simulation. Right. Because that's what we decided to do in order to have this focused experience that allows us to discover ourselves through process, discover ourselves from a new point of view that we may not be able to experience ourselves from in spirit. Right. We have right. a new perspective. It's like you have to forget who you are in order to remember who you are from another point of view. That's right. That's how you grow. That you that's have a different exactly perspective right. of your experience. So yeah, it's a simulation, but we're creating the simulation. Gotcha. Gotcha. One, one last question. Then I want to ask you more about your book. Um, sure. And I've just been asking uh, this question to, to, to everyone who comes on, on the podcast, um, mm -hmm. but it's especially perfect for you. So it's uh, okay. If you were getting on your spaceship and you were going to get off this, this rock, you were, if mm -hmm. you were heading out and, but yeah. you bumped into some, some aliens who were coming down and who planned on living as humans or, or, you know, or among us without saying much. And they were like, Whoa, but before you go, hmm? what's uh, you know, get, just give us three, three little tidbits of knowledge to live by. Well, how can we, you know, we want to, we want to make the best of it. What, what, what were the three things that you would, you would say to them? They should keep about living mind. on earth, about living on earth. Yeah. <sighs> Most people don't know they're creating their reality. Mm -hmm. So be aware that a lot of people are sleepwalking. <laughs> yeah. um, <clears throat> most people don't feel that they're living the life they really would prefer to live mm -hmm. so you're going to experience a lot of sense of disconnection frustration and depression mm -hmm. in humans uh, but I think number three continue to have compassion because everyone's on their own path you don't know what anyone's journey is really all about, <clears throat> but you can be of help by sharing information like Bashar does right? and let people decide for themselves whether or not to apply it. Because as Bashar has said, he can deliver all the information in the world, but it's really none of his business whether anyone absorbs it or not, because right. he doesn't know what their path is really all about. And he can't take their power away from them by thinking that he knows right. better about their own lives than they do. So your book takes place 700 years in the future. I just, I'm going to show this yes. artwork again, because yes. that's, this is, Willa. that's Willa. She's, she's one of the, the main characters. Um, she's a, yeah, she's a human alien hybrid, 700 years in the future, living on earth after the hybrids have come to live here and have blended into our society and our society has changed accordingly. <clears throat> now, this is a being that I actually have channeled. That's Willa right, herself. and I've heard, I've heard you I've heard you channeling her, right. and I remember tuning into that, and I was like, right. And and as I've said about Bashar, she is another future self mm -hmm. of mine, as far as I understand that concept linearly. But as people have asked, how much of the book is true about her life, seven hundred years in the future, and the answer really is about five, maybe ten percent. Right. The rest of it is simply framed as a science fiction story. Mm -hmm. Not everything in that book is true with regard to her life, mm -hmm. uh, but it had to be an exciting story for us to get the information of and the course. messages because it has to be told in story form for us to get the point. Right. So um, it gives some idea of what life might be like 700 years in the future yeah. after we start becoming what Bashar calls the sixth hybrid race right. after we have evolved to that point. But most of it is just for the purpose of going on a fun ride and thinking about some of the things that are presented in there that might open us up to different ways of understanding our connection to the universe, our connection to nature and humanity, mm -hmm. uh, and our abilities. Because the journey of the five books, uh, the first two of which exist, is the journey of Willa going on what's called the five levels of mastery. And it starts with cryptic, which is learning your connections to nature, <clears throat> goes to nocturnal, which is learning your connections to parallel versions of yourself in alternate realities, <clears throat> going to shapeshifter, which is actually becoming those versions in alternate realities in this reality, going to sage, which is like the equivalent of being a wizard in a sense, <clears throat> um, and going into wraith, which is then having a bridge and a connection between physical and spirit reality and exhibiting those powers in this reality. Yeah. So it's about her journey <clears throat> through those five levels of mastery 
but also the fact that she has a very specific genetic connection to the ancient extraterrestrials that created humans. Yeah. And it gives her a stronger ability to exhibit those powers, those abilities more quickly. Mm-hmm. And the need for her to do that due to a very aggressive, negative extraterrestrial society that wants to conquer the Earth mm-hmm. and the interstellar alliance to which she belongs. So that's, that's the adventure, you know, part yeah. of the story, the right. sci-fi part of the story, is that she has to use the abilities she's learning very quickly to stave off this invasion and protect the ones that she loves. Well, that's, that's fantastic. You know, I mean, I guess I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to say goodbye without giving you an opportunity to, um, you know, just, just if you, if you were to give one bit of advice to, you know, your everyday people that they could keep in mind, you know, yeah. as they well, go about their journey, you know, it would be exactly the four steps that I talked about that Bashar gives <clears throat> as an instruction manual for how you create reality, <clears throat> act on your passion, whatever contains more excitement than anything else. Do it first, mm-hmm. do it the best you can for as long as you can until you can do it no further. Look around then for the next thing that contains more excitement than anything else and act on that next. Take all of these actions with no insistence and no assumption as to where you're going to wind up, what it's going to look like, what the outcome should be. Because while you might sometimes be able to guess what the outcome might look like, you don't always know that what's in your physical mind as the ideal outcome actually is the ideal outcome that serves you best. Let your higher mind fill that space. Get excited about a possible ideal outcome, you can use whatever visualization you want to represent it. But then you have to kind of let the picture go, but stay in the state of excitement. And don't have any insistence on a particular look for it, because the higher mind may bring you something completely different than you imagine. And remain in a positive state, no matter what manifests. Because even if something manifests that you don't objectively prefer, it's got to be there for a reason that can serve you. If you stay in a positive state, you will find out how it can serve you positively. You'll get the benefit from it. If you go into a negative state, like, oh, this doesn't belong in my life, right, why did this right. happen? I should be beyond this, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> you're only going to get a negative experience because right. you're not using it for why it's there. <clears throat> so even if something manifests you don't prefer, you can use it in a way that you do. For a simple example, being shown what you don't prefer makes it clearer by contrast what you do prefer. And that's a preferable way to use what you don't prefer. So if you learn the lesson of why it's there, it'll go away because it served its purpose. Yeah. Things only stick around when you refuse to acknowledge that they belong in your life. If it shows up, it's there for a reason. And again, it goes back to what Bashar said. It's not about what happens. It's about what you do with what happens that makes the difference in your world because everything can serve double duty, positive or negative. That's right. And it's up to you to infuse it with the meaning that works for you. If you give it a negative meaning, you're going to get a negative effect. If you give it a positive meaning, you're going to get a positive effect. You are creating your reality experience. So those four things, follow your passion, do it the best you can, no insistence or assumption on the outcome, remain in a positive state, no matter what happens, will unlock all the tools of synchronicity, Synchronicity and the driving yes. engine and the path of least resistance, the path of connection, the path of support, the yeah. path of relevance, and the reflective mirror that will, on that journey, actually reveal to you any beliefs you are harboring in your unconscious mind that might be out of alignment with who you prefer to be. That's right. It's literally an instruction manual, no different than any instruction manual you would follow to operate a piece of machinery. Right. If you follow the steps in the way that they've been described, the machine will work for you. If you don't, well, the machine may work, but it may not work to your advantage or you may injure yourself. So that to me is the most profound thing he's really ever delivered because he's been able to distill the nature and structure of how existence works and how we create a reality into literally four basic steps. It's amazing, you know, and and the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you is Mm -hmm. proof in the pudding that that it works because... um, this is, I mean, this is just like a, a dream for me, you know, um, and, you. and I appreciate it. Dreams do come true uh, when you follow your highest excitement. And yes, although again, they may not always look like you think, but it's no, they may not always look like what still you think. important for your dreams. They're Absolutely. Um, yeah. This has thank been you. great. Well, Darryl. thank you. I, I really appreciate this. Uh, for people that are interested in reading the books, they can go to darylanka.com 
and order them there. For people that are interested in Bashar, they can go to bashar.org mm-hmm. uh, and there. And for, you know... Uh, We're going to include all those links in our... Yeah, in our, for anything yeah, that's happening absolutely. with our films, you know, they can go to ziafilms.com as well. Absolutely. Daryl, thank you so much, man. I'm, I'm, thank you, Faust. It's such a pleasure talking to you. Appreciate I it. I really appreciate it. My thanks also to Hunter for making the connection. Uh, you guys have a wonderful day. And again, Me too. Thanks. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. Appreciate Take care. it.